Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome PTJ listeners to this PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Matthew Miller. He's on faculty at the Department of Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Science at the University of California, San Francisco. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our discussion. The title of his and his colleagues' article is The Prevalence of Cognitive Impairment Among Medicare Beneficiaries Who Use Outpatient Physical Therapy. I really found your article interesting. It's not a topic that I have seen addressed very much in the rehabilitation literature, and so I was really pleased to see you and your colleagues uh, take it on. Could you share with our listeners what led to your interest in examining cognitive impairment among Medicare beneficiaries who are receiving PT services? Yeah, um, I think as a clinician, we always recognize that there are non-physical features and factors that really influence a lot of what we do and the outcomes that we see. And my research kind of focused on that among people with lower limb amputation initially, things like self-efficacy, motivation, and resilience. And then we did an analysis that looked at cognitive impairment in that target group of people and found that there were associations between cognitive impairment and um, I think it was like five-year outcomes. Um, But that led me down the road of like, what other kind of um, settings do we see a large volume of older adults who might have cognitive impairment? So that that did lead us down the road of, well, in, in outpatient, we see a large volume of older adults who have cognitive impairment, and we know that it's really hard to identify. And so if we can use other data sources to kind of figure out how prevalent this is, um, that that's really uh, what started the interest. It became like a, a nice box to start to untangle. I was, once I said, I was delighted to see that you you addressed the question. To do your study, uh, you chose data from the uh, 2016 Health and Retirement Study, and you drew a probability sample. Could you talk a little bit about why you chose this particular data set for your analyses? Yeah. The Health and Retirement Study is a long-standing longitudinal um, study of older adults. So, uh, it really focuses on older adults and it collects data every two years on a range of different uh, characteristics, things like finances, function, health, and cognition. I mean, so that's kind of the first piece of why I thought that this was a really great resource to use. Then when we kind of dug in a little bit deeper, because there there are other alternative population-based studies of older adults, the feature that we were really starting to try and understand a little bit more about was those older adults who have cognitive impairment that isn't quite severe enough to be considered dementia. And other data sources don't have that level of sensitivity in their cognitive status measures. And so we, we went with HRS because it does have that component within it. The other piece about the HRS study that we really love is that it can be linked with Medicare data. And so we can identify those older adults who were within the health and retirement study who've actually used outpatient physical therapy services within a, a, a window of time. 
So that, that's really why we uh, went with that data source. It's really strong. Now you make a note in your article that it's estimated that nearly six and a half million older adults in the United States have some form of dementia. Uh, yet you also point out that physical therapist screening for cognitive impairment is quite low, and the prevalence of cognitive impairment in the outpatient setting is largely unknown. Why do you think this issue is being ignored by our field? Because I think, as you've pointed out, it's really relevant to the success of clinical intervention. I really love this question because it's really complicated. And it's not just our profession or uh, that's having a hard time with this. This is actually within the broader scope of healthcare. This is a really challenging area to be in. And I think a lot of it comes to implementation science questions where it's just incredibly complicated. So who should be doing the screening? Should we as physical therapists be doing it? If we do it, what tool should we use? If we use a tool and we pick a tool and we finally figure out how to use it, how do we interpret the score? What happens if the score... So it just turns into so many different questions that we don't always know the answer for, especially for clinicians who may be new to the field or who don't really encounter older adults who have cognitive impairment. So I think that's kind of the, the, the first dilemma there. The other piece is that since we don't really have a systematic way of identifying cognitive impairment, it doesn't land in an electronic medical record in a way that we can truly kind of estimate uh, without something like a population-based study like HRS. You know, as an older individual who is a Medicare beneficiary, uh, I will ad admit that it's a sensitive issue. I, I can understand why clinicians don't want to delve into it if you're a physical therapist. I'm not sure how I would feel if a physical therapist started probing me with respect to my cognitive uh, status. Uh, it's, it's not done really carefully. It could be really offensive. <laughs> Right. And that, that's actually commented on in some of the practice guidelines. So because some of this is ethical dilemmas surrounding, is there an actual risk factor for cognitive impairment? And what's the potential harm in screening someone who doesn't have one? And then become having that tense conversation of do you or don't you, even though you may not in the end. Um, so it, it is a point of conversation. Yeah. My wife and I had an interesting discussion about that. <laughs> you had over 4,000 community-dwelling health and retirement survey participants who were Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries. So you had a lovely sample. Mm -hmm. It was a probability sample. So it's really nice to see a study where we can be confident as to the generalizability of the, of the mm -hmm. fund. You estimated uh, the point estimate was 17.3% had an episode of outpatient physical therapy. And your time frame was a year after the HRS data collection. I had no frame of reference for the 17.3%. How, how did it strike you and your, your colleagues? Is that a high number, a low number? Can you help us understand the, um, the meaning of that prevalence? Yeah. Since it was my first analysis with HRS, I wasn't really sure what to expect either. But with my colleagues, we, we kind of looked into the literature and other co-authors had previously done analyses looking at HRS. And it was consistent to other work. So we weren't kind of surprised or let down with the number of about 17 uh, within the year after uh, data collection. It's a high number. That's a lot of use <laughs> in patient physical therapy. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, you broke down cognitive impairment in, in three ways, which I thought was really useful. Obviously, you classify people as normal, then you classify people as, as having dementia, but you also had a middle category, which you referred to as cognitive impairment, but not dementia. Uh, so that's how you classified people. Now, the estimated population prevalence of cognitive impairment in your sample was 20.3%. And though it was higher among those who were over 85, much higher, uh, half of over the over 85 had some degree of cognitive impairment. That really struck me. It was more prevalent among those who were minorities and those with less high school education. So how do those findings compare to estimates in the general population? Yeah. Before I get to that point, I really do, because I think it's actually really interesting to bring up the normal dementia and the no uh, dementia with cognitive impairment. Because I think when we think about literature and the patients we see, dementia is like relatively kind of quote unquote easy to identify. We know someone has cognitive impairment when it's severe enough to be considered dementia. But that cognitive impairment, no dementia, is a really broad gray area. And clinically, this is where we run into problems of therapists saying, well, they're not cognitively impaired. They're doing everything. They're, they're able to get here. Or they can follow these directions, which may not actually be true when you think about how this, this, this categorization is um, an epidemiologic kind of concept that is more analogous with mild cognitive impairment where an older adult may have enough cognitive function to be able to do an everyday task. Uh, but once you start to challenge them and do more cognitively demanding or new tasks, even though they may not necessarily be complex for a general population, uh, it becomes, it starts to break down. We ask older adults to do a lot of challenging things in physical therapy, adjustments to the home or in different uh, new exercises that never encountered before. And so then we might start to be like, oh, God, they're not really adhering to what we're asking them to do. And it may not even be that they're not wanting to do it. It may be that they don't understand it or they have some level of cognitive impairment. Sorry, I went on a tangent. But to get back to your general population question, um, I think we weren't particularly surprised uh, with uh, the pattern that we saw. Um, we know that cognitive impairment is more common among um, older uh, populations among uh, patients who are Black or those who are non-Hispanic white. We also know that it is higher among those with lower levels of education. But we really were targeting understanding how does this level of cognitive impairment that we're identifying kind of uh, relate to the, the features that patients tend to come into us for, like the function and the moderate vigorous physical activity frequency. So 50% of those over 85 um, coming in having cognitive impairment is a really kind of stark finding, but it, it, was, it didn't necessarily draw our attention that much because we would expect older adults who are over the age of 85 to have a much higher prevalence. One of your key recommendations is that given your findings, one in five outpatients in the Medicare population, you have measurable cognitive impairment. And so you think it would make sense clinically for physical therapists to screen. So it's easy to say screen for cognitive impairment. Could you talk a little bit about how you think outpatient physical therapists should go about doing the screening and who they should select uh, to do the screening for cognitive impairment? 
as I mentioned earlier, there there are clinical practice guidelines surrounding screening uh, and blanket screening for cognitive impairment among older adults is, is actually not recommended because of the dilemmas we, we touched on already. So there are some potential harms of screening people without, um, say, having resources to provide them or um, having a conversation that they might not be ready for. Uh, so, so kind of approaching that topic with sensitivity is really important, but screening for those who are identified to be at risk is really recommended. So for the context of this study, it's those older adults who have worse physical function, greater likelihood of having some level of cognitive impairment. So if they report difficulty walking across the room, they're at a much higher risk of having cognitive impairment than those who report no difficulty walking at all. The other interesting thing is that we found that older adults who do moderate to vigorous physical activity less than one time a week are also at a significantly higher risk of having cognitive impairment. So this kind of pulls in our other behavioral features that we may not necessarily think a lot about in physical therapy, but we do know influence a lot of our other health outcomes. And so thinking about how we, those who we should be screening, those are kind of some of the features there. But beyond when it comes to this study, like I think when it comes to identifying who we should screen and uh, those different factors or what tools we might want to use, the Academy of Geriatric Physical Therapy has done some work in this space and they've created a toolbox that physical therapists can use. It has not only education for you, but it also has different tools that you could potentially use to do a quick screen. But it also has different um, descriptions of neurocognitive impairments that you are likely to find when someone has cognitive impairment uh, and a whole bunch of different peer-reviewed studies that you can start to understand more about this topic. I think that's one of the key pieces uh, that I've found in this area is although there's a ton of information, it's really hard for us to digest all of the information. It's just a lot out there. But becoming more kind of aware of it and figuring out how to apply it, I think is the next step. Do you ever, in your experience or in your work, find it useful to talk to family members if they are present with the older adult? Because it would seem to me people who have, let's say, substantial cognitive impairment, it might not be uncommon for them to have a family member with them. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Is that is that ethically problematic, or do you think that might be reasonable for people to think about? I, I love that you're asking this question. I, I feel like I talk to my physical therapy students about this in our psychosocial class. I feel like it is a conversation to have, not just with the patient, but with that family member there. So the the act that an older adult might need to be dropped off by a family member in and of itself could be an indicator that there is cognitive impairment there. Uh, and so having those conversations does require sensitivity and figuring out what what level does this patient want their family to be involved and what level does the family want to be involved in that discussion with the patient? Um, because I honestly, I feel like as physical therapists, one of our key kind of roles in this whole system is likely to be connecting people with resources. We're not going to be the ones who are able to kind of identify everything that this person might need to change in their life because of their level of cognitive impairment. We can support them, but I do think we are the people who help to kind of get them the resources that they might need in order to minimize the effect of disability, not just for the patient, but for, for the more broad social network. Dr. Miller, I really appreciate your taking the time to, to talk about your study, and, and I thank you for doing it, because I think it's clinically very relevant, and it's an important topic, particularly as the boomers are moving into this age and, um, and are so highly prevalent in, in physical therapy practices. So um, I urge listeners to take a look at the article. I think it's very well done. Thank you.
Thank you for having me and glad to share. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.